When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time for another Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. And before I get started on the program, you know, I've been looking at the metrics and just the amount of support for this program. I can't thank you enough. And I really, when I talk to some people, you know, just talking about the show itself, just doing some networking. I'm thinking about the fact 225 odd episodes later, taking over this show and building the show to where it is today and the support that comes out there, like the show has grown so much and there's a lot of respect in the industry for blunt business. And I really, from the bottom of my heart, I thank all of you listeners for making the show as wonderful as it is and appreciating where I wanted to go with this show because I want so much information to be given. I hear other podcasts out there. You're dedicating 30 to 40 minutes of time to listen to this program. And I don't take the time just to stop and say, you know, I care because I'm a listener like you. I go back and listen to all my episodes and I say, what does the audience want to hear? And we want to hear, and really there's a lot of great voices out there that give great information today. Another great guest that's going to go ahead and really talk to us about mergers and acquisitions. A lot of that going on in the headlines. Let's go ahead and talk first. My next guest has represented owners in the sale, acquisition, and valuation of thousands of daily and weekly newspapers, national, regional, business-to-business, and business-to-consumer magazines, conferences, and trade shows, digital information, and technical solutions companies. Now, most notably, as we bring bring our guest on, he led the M&A for the MG Biz and Green Market Report deals, which we'll reference a little bit later on the show, his firm does a lot more than just cannabis, but it begs the question if cannabis media and conferences are the new hot thing for mergers and acquisitions. My guest is the CEO and owner of Grimes, McGovern, and Associates. John J. McGovern joins me on Blunt Business. John, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you, Jorge. It's good to, good to be here. This is a great subject. There's a lot of expansion. We know that there are a lot of moving pieces where companies are looking to in what I talk about on another show that I host that's outside of cannabis radio, there's a digital disruption. And when you also look at just how media companies are always in the process of becoming conglomerations, always some kind of like we're just radio and television deregulated newspapers the same way. And then companies just buy up and just gobble up, you know, other companies to create, you know, these megapolis. And 
that's the same thing going on here. So first off, I want to go ahead and lead off with this. The Software and Information Industry Association, SIIA, and I'll refer to that in the acronym going forward. They recently spoke with you about one of the biggest headlines of the year so far. The $120 million sale of 10-year-old MJ Biz, folks at Anhalm Ventures, for a long time with them, a media and events company serving the cannabis and data Delta 8 THC industry, was sold to Emerald Expositions. You represented MJ Bez in this sale. And while you mentioned several key selling points for this deal as to why Emerald acquired MJ Biz, it was including good growth, good margins, a market in its infancy, a good average registration fee to walk in the door, and even an exhibition-driven event, strong management team. Now, I remember going to events in our sister network that we have, WMR.FM. I don't make a much reference to it much, but tech, digital marketing, SEO, affiliate marketing, seeing shows that are five to 10,000 people attending and then having a couple of hundred, you know, speakers, you know, three or four or five days of programming, in networking, networking events, the whole thing. And I just wanted to find out, what can you tell me about what Emerald was thinking, the prompting to acquire one of the largest attendant industry conferences every year? What prompted the deal? Oh, uh, well, um, thank you, Jorge. Yeah, it was, um, it was a deal that I like to say really helped everyone. I mean, when you think about the pandemic um, starting in 2020, before the pandemic and the conference and trade show business, you had a lot of private equity money and investment money flowing into what is a relatively small industry. When you consider that a big part of the industry, at least in the US, is owned by associations, which are nonprofit. So in terms of you know private enterprises, it's a relatively small industry. It's an industry that um, feeds the travel industry, brings thousands of people together who spend money in cities, feeds the restaurant industry. So sort of like a ripple effect so leading into the pandemic, there was um, a lot of interest in these businesses on the part of investors, and then the pandemic made it very difficult for them to have their events, naturally. Many pivoted to um, uh, virtual events. Emerald, in, in their case, um, they are a very strong events player. Right. Um, they're a public company. They are in markets that touch on cannabis and we're starting to hear about cannabis via their other trade show uh, marketplaces such as retail such as packaging which are obviously very much related to to the cannabis industry and they were looking for growth and the owners of mj biz um did a fantastic job of growing that business and the management team and um i think emerald saw it as a really good um, key to their success um, in a market that is in its infancy, a new market. They're very interested in new markets as well as something that would help shore up other markets as well. The other thing too is that the MJ Biz and the exponential growth that they had in attendance every year, you know, right around November and the December, now December this time around last year, and well, actually, it was October last year, but it used to be December in Las Vegas, and it was just, it was a go-to. It was one of the last things that the cannabis industry had to go and really was the, the largest big end of the year. And, I mean, it, we always kind of looked at it from the outside. When we looked at, you know, for ourselves, 
Cannabis Radio, you know, we were sponsors within internally of our own conference series. And when we look at the size and scale of MJ Biz and, you know, saying to ourselves, how can they sustain that growth? Like it's just gotten so big and there's nobody else that's been able to do that yet. And I guess that comes down the line where, you know, after the pandemic, were conferences and in-person events going to go ahead and come back that way? So I want to bring up this too. On your LinkedIn page, your team reported that the top 50 USA trade shows, exhibitions, conferences of any kind are slated to occur in the busy spring season. So everything's on schedule and the excellent news, they're all nearly moving forward with their original spring dates. The events industry continues to remain resilient in the face of COVID. Online events can be very profitable, but only go so far in terms of engagement and don't scale the way face-to-face does. MJ Biz tried to go virtual and others have tried. It wasn't, uh, we looked at it ourselves and it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't going to hold and sustain. It was a stopgap, I felt like, just in my opinion. Now, buyers and sellers depend on face-to-face events as a function of their market, a true marketplace. It's great to see the industry moving forward. And with that, I want to ask about how, where the industry is with pushing forward live events, if there's still any limitations that are here, but it looks like MJ Biz was able to get back to 2019 levels. Others were able to do the same. Do you feel like that, was there any ripple effect that the pandemic created from people maybe pulling away from investing in in in-person events? Uh, Not as much as you would expect. Um, When the pandemic started, I um, was uh, concerned um, about the future of the event industry. We received offers for event businesses during um, the pandemic when the events actually weren't happening. So, um, and that told me that these events, these businesses are still going to have value regardless of whether they actually had their most recent events because of a, a, um, something like a pandemic. And mind you, the event industry has always been a little bit risky. If you, you know, are tempted by a Florida um, fall price at a hotel to have your event in hurricane season, then the hurricane happens and you, know, you, you don't have your, your, your revenue generating event. Right. So that was kind of always there, which folks kind of worked around. Um, but the interesting thing about the pandemic and virtual events is the virtual events can be higher margin, more profitable, because you don't have the venue expenses, um, the food and beverage expenses, and so forth. However, um, they don't scale quite as, as large. It's, it's hard to get um, thousands and thousands of people to attend an online B2B event. And it's a different way of being captive, right? If you're at your at your computer and, and, and you're going to sit there for X number of hours, it's easy to get distracted versus really getting people out of their office to a face-to-face event where there can, can really be 100% mind share and 100% of their attention. Do you feel like with cannabis events, the scale of MD biz, and we've seen, you know, we, we at Cannabis Radio with Coffee, we've gone to other conferences as well, that might be more boutique, a little more intimate. And I know that when it came to the digital marketing industry, we had the super shows. We had searches and strategies. We had, you know, affiliate summit. We had, there were just some large shows that would be again, five to 10,000. You'd have, you know, multiple sponsors. You'd have some great events going on, which we would be always be involved with. But then when certain companies would acquire 
you know, they would corporatize the system and they would try to monetize as much as they could. Even the case where MJ Biz, you know, for us, you know, it is a thing where, I mean, I understand trying to offset costs, but even they, you know, they put a podcaster's row together. They went ahead and wanted to monetize media coming in to cover the event. Plus whatever they had to go and do in terms of the cover of the costs of room and board of the event, you know, taking care of the unions, all those kind of things the sustainable value of having a show that size versus the more intimate shows, because what happened in the digital marketing industry, the tech industry, the bigger shows, they kind of, they couldn't, it was hard to sustain that large model. What is it that can be learned from there to be done to cannabis so that shows like MTV biz and other shows could also grow to that certain spectacle that everybody has to be at our bodies come in different shapes and sizes so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too that's the beauty of noom they build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions medical issues and other personal needs so your plan works for you noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection you don't have to give up carbs or anything and with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. I mean, you, you raise a good point, uh, right? Because it's, it's tough when, you know, all buyers of these businesses in any industry in the cannabis industry as well. I mean, they want the businesses to succeed and they have to walk the fine line of adding the value that they, that they mean to add as buyers. That's why they, they bought the business while maintaining still that sort of nice feeling, look and feel and, the certain place and positioning that that show had in its market because it was run by who was run. It was started by who was run. That person was probably an entrepreneur in the industry, well-known in the industry. So maintaining that feeling of the event, yet also adding the value um, is a challenge. And this is a message for you know people in the, in the cannabis industry as well. If you are you know, looking at selling at your company, really getting in to understand, getting time with your buyer and understand what their true intentions are with the business can make a big difference in terms of picking the right buyer yeah. um, and get a real feeling for how much that buyer respects your baby and what you have built. And we have so many young and growing businesses in, in the cannabis industry that will be faced with that as they um, start to grow and, and scale and so forth. Um, Many industries in the second part of your of your question, many industries function um, for many, many years 
with one or two very large events that operate as kind of a marketplace and a networking um, uh, site for the industry. Lots of businesses conducted in certain industries, actually orders like in a retail industry, orders are actually taken on the floor of the, of the event. Not every industry kind of kind of operates that way. Um, but it is logical to think, and this is one reason why MJ Business was such a strong business is, is the cannabis is to a certain extent a, a, a regional market, right? The state by state licensing, the working within state borders. Yet they still succeeded at having a large national event and having all these people um, think on a national scale and come and gather. And that's a testament to that business um, and what the owners um, ha- had built, but it, it is logical to think that um, for growth that you would go to a regionalization, still have one very strong central event, but also have events that are closer to the communities as more states come online uh, with rec use. Last April, I got a, the chance to go and talk to the CEO of MJ Biz. Uh, and I'm going to give his daily Chris Walsh a great interview. I would reference listeners to go back and listen to that. It was great information we got to talk about there. And I want to just close out this segment before we go to a break. And saying that in personal experience, as I mentioned before, you know, Canvas Radio, the, the parent company, actually ran a conference series, the USCC Expo. I got to program that. I think we programmed, I did, I got to program four sessions. So it was programming, you know, several days of events, three days of events. One was a premium day, two days of sessions with three breakout rooms. And, you know, to try to make sure to keep that fresh, to keep it where, you know, you were getting the right content in there, the right education, plus the work of getting the expo halls filled with new promising ideas and, and companies. So you don't take away the staleness. I mean, the one thing with right. the business is that it's such a big show. You really can't get to every booth and really take enough time to go and see everybody. That's why you need so many people, so much support to go to a show like that to really get out there. Plus, if you're an exhibitor yourself, the level of support you need to go and be able to handle all that foot traffic. There is so much going on. And that's what I see. And, and that's where I think some of the companies that are going to come in that might acquire some of these conferences of this scale, they need to keep in mind, listen, don't just take this as a cash grab. You have to pay attention to what made the conferences so great and sustain that same type of momentum. That's where I think things have to be considered. So let's go to commercial. We're going to talk more about mergers and acquisitions on the more on the industry level. I'm here with John J. McGovern, CEO and owner of Grimes McGovern and Associates. And I want to also reference the website, which, uh, We'll talk a little bit later on. MediaMergers.com. MediaMergers.com. Take a look at that as we go to commercial break. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a cannabis-related real estate loan and running into a brick wall? Getting a loan done for a large cannabis cultivation, production, or distribution property used to be hard. Not anymore. At CFG, we get the job done for you fast and easy. Our minimum loan size is $5 million, and we can go all the way up to $100 million or more. We finance outdoor grow operations, greenhouse grows, indoor grow facilities, processing, labs, distribution facilities, and more. 
So if you are looking for a large cannabis real estate related loan for any part of your operation, CFG can help fast and easy and at competitive interest rates and terms. So give us a call now at 408-661-5084 or email us at cannabis at cfgfunds.com. We'll get it done for you fast. We're back on Blunt Business with John J. McGovern, CEO and owner of Grimes McGovern and Associates. So I mentioned the article, the SIIA, and that was the Software and Information Industry Association. So I referenced before the break that people are looking for a market that is in its infancy, and cannabis was one of those markets. MJ Biz reported that merger and acquisition activity could accelerate in 2022 thanks to lower interest costs and pressure on larger companies to expand their footprints and boost revenue. And now we've talked about extensively here on Blunt Business, the expansion of multi-state operators or MSOs taking shape in anticipation of a rollout of legalization. Talk to me, John, about the timetable that companies are following to expand and prepare for such a monumental moment. Um, sure. The uh, depends on the ownership structure of the company, right? So a different um, different ownership structure has different issues with respect to how to prepare for the sale of a company and entrepreneur. Um, uh, sole owner situation involved in the business has one set of circumstances that they have to think about with respect to how do they stay involved in the business enough to make it really work while at the same time letting uh, buyers feel that the business could actually survive without them and and flourish without them. If you have a group of owners in, in a business, you have um, uh, ownership divided up and you may have um, competing interests, and um, it's very clear to ha- it's very important to have very clear shareholder agreements and to be really on the same page with your owners with respect to the plans for the business. You know, when when one owner wants to take advantage of the M and A markets being good and to look for a sale of a business that's relevant for the cannabis industry, are all the others on the on the on board at the same time? I like to say sometimes M and A is a business of timing. Mm-hmm. Not only getting your 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 owners lined up and feeling that's the right time, but also when you're when you're out there trying to sell the business, who are the buyers that are available that can do a deal um, that are not distracted by something else during the months that you happen to be to be looking? Um, typically, you don't look for sellers for for a company for for years and years. It's a several month process where you where you corral the buyers and bring in offers. And you have to synchronize the timing as to when the rollout of legalization comes in here, that there is a five-year plan in place as to once the acquisition is made to say, okay, we need to know where where things are going to be if we expect that the government's going to give us the kind of support that we need when it comes to safe banking, when it comes to various other, you know, decriminalization, whatever it might be. Now, Insider.com actually also spoke with some, uh, they, they spoke with some venture capitalists. They have said in the article that slow regulatory changes at the federal level may have a large hand in pushing companies to make deals in the space. So I mentioned the reform bill, the Safe Banking Act, which could help cannabis companies access banks. If you've listened to this program enough, you know we've talked about this ad nauseum. But despite large bipartisan support in the House of Representatives, the bill hasn't passed the Senate. And they've tried, obviously... Different ways. Can we embed it into the National Defense Authorization Act? Can we put it in something else? Find a way to get it pushed through under a bill to get it pushed as a bill. Uh, 
Because cannabis is a federally legal substance in the U.S., major banking institutions won't work with the industry, and businesses in the space rely heavily on cannabis-focused venture capital firms and smaller credit unions. What do you say about all that? Um, yeah, I think it, it presents challenges to to owners um, in the business that I'm in, in terms of um, events and 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 media, in terms of buyers looking at new markets to um, invest in. Um, cannabis is in its is in its infancy. Um, imagine if uh, you could only sell furniture in 20 states; it was only legal. How how you know, how successful would your furniture industry event be? So, um, so there's a lot to look forward to. At the same time, um, I think that the banking regulations from what we learned in this process um, have made some progress and, and, will, con- and will continue to. And um, I think eventually... Uh, you will see that uh, open up completely, just not sure when. You know, and I'm thinking back uh, a while back, I talked to Vince Ning, he's a co-founder CEO of Navis. Talk about the California cannabis market. And one of the proposals I had out there was the idea that if you have states that maybe they're not, you know, you can't connect coast to coast to create, you know, the business model, the multi-state operators can't do that yet. But if there was some kind of, you know, uh, some kind of a committee, you know, where where states would uh, adjoining states would work together to create some interstate commerce. Would that change anything at all? Is that something that could be pliable, or or just that that could be a, an idea that could come to fruition? It seems to me, as an outsider, that it makes sense. You know, the the idea is to find another industry as a model, right? I can't think of one off the top of my head. Where such small relation, um, small groups of states, or maybe large or small, medium size, um, form uh, as some sort of interstate commerce coalition um, as a way of navigating around, you know, the federal limits at, at this point. Um, I think there's some really bright people, you know, in 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 cannabis law and in the industry that know a lot more than I do about. Uh, the likelihood and how you would actually go about that. But I think there, if you look back at other industries, there's probably a couple of examples that you could follow. Because there has to be a way to do that. And, I, and you're, you're right. I should talk to somebody legally and see if that's something that could be possible. And I mean, if it's, because well, I don't know how it would work, you know, based if it's if it's a federal issue, if multiple states decide to adjoin themselves, there's no legal precedent of this happening before either. But I still think it's something that people, like you said, I appreciate you telling me it's, it's a logical idea. It was just something I thought about, brainstorming. And I don't see why it couldn't be done. So if Washington, Oregon, California, they all join together, Nevada, I can see where all these states, they're all, you know, they all have adult use. They all have medical. They could do something where, you know, you could have a Pacific Coast coalition that can be able to do that same thing with the east coast you can figure something out with that Uh, there's i think there has to be something that can be done there so you can create that and then you have all these states together you know working with law enforcement working with cannabis control boards to say okay this can be shipped to this place back and forth you'll have the stores working together and at least you start somewhere because then that's a model that you'll see where 
you know, various, you know, fast food restaurants or chains of uh, stores where they're not necessarily, you could create a regional model. And then that can also support the federal model, the, the full rollout of the whole United States. Something like that sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah, the critical mass that you would get with a larger group would have more negotiating power for any of the services that those states need. They'd be maybe get a, um, a more significant seat at the table in terms of talking to the banks, you know, dealing with the banks. And then the all of the MSOs and everyone else that serves the industry, you know, would probably benefit from being able to do more across lines than they can now. If you can't get anything right away on the federal level, everybody's been leveraging the state level. What that's I'd love to go and see people see states explore the idea to kind of go further, especially with California, with the issues they're in. That would be something that I think Governor Newsom and the control board there, Laurie A. Jackson, whoever's running it there now, they should figure that out. They should try to find they want to keep getting tax revenue in. I'm giving you an idea. And I think it's a good idea. Something should be explored. Anyway, we're going to come back. I have a few other things when it comes to the beverages portion of cannabis, the edibles industry. I want to ask you about that. And I also have a question in terms of media, just something out of my own curiosity I thought would be good to again add to the episode. I'm here again with John J. McGovern, CEO and owner of Grimes McGovern and Associates. Website is mediamergers.com. What a great domain. That's valuable. And we're back with John with final questions after this. Shuggies is very happy to announce that we're about to come out with our pourable agave. You've all come to love our individual stick packs of agave, but we have had people say that they'd like more flexibility with the product and a more consumer-friendly packaging. So look for Shuggies pourable agave with THC in a dispenser near you soon. That's Shuggies, S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S, at Shuggies.com. Delicious sugar, stevia, and agave now in home use vessels. We're in the home stretch with John J. McGovern, CEO and owner of Grimes McGovern and Associates. John, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking time out. I'm glad we had the opportunity to have this conversation. There's just a whole lot to be said. Now, I want to go into beverages. And this is also just going into uh, where mergers and acquisitions are you know, coming together from the likes of other industries. As we know that, you know, we have alcohol and tobacco that are also looking to try to make their inroads into the industry because they're familiar with it. They are familiar with the rollout of legalization for their own particular industries. And the same thing can come to here. So Anheuser-Busch and Bev, they terminated their partnership with Canadian cannabis company Tilray late last year. Uh, That's according to JustDrinks.com. They learned about that this past January. And the idea was that with Tilray CEO, AB Bev was unwilling to enter the THC market in Canada where cannabis beverages have been legal for more than two years. Monster Beverage has looked at the tapping into Constellation Brands' relationship with Canopy Growth. Constellation, they're the marketers of Corona and Modelo beers, and they spent about $4 billion to acquire an estimated 40% stake in Canopy, Canopy Growth. So what do you think about the continuation of beverage and tobacco companies continuing their pursuit of M&As in the cannabis space? Um, yes, I think that they are the, the closest ones on the sidelines. Um, I happen to actually own a wine and liquor retail store in a highly regulated state, New York. Um, so I'm a bit familiar uh, with this from a merchant's perspective. And, you know, it's, 
It's interesting because I say the Liquor Authority in New York City, uh, which is the group that would, would be involved in, in trying to incorporate this into what they do, or at least get in part of the action. Sometimes I say that they've evolved about one day past prohibition. You know, these um, th- th- they've become a little too slow to move and to innovate. So there's going to be challenges, I think, in that front with respect to um, if, if the uh, new um, coalitions or committees or authorities, whatever it, it is that is created um, in a state like New York to handle um, beverages entry into this space, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, red tape factor is, is an issue for entrepreneurs and is something that I think, you know, could use some private enterprise to sort of, you know, uh, energize it. But yeah. the large liquor companies have good margins, really strong brands. They've only gotten stronger during the pandemic. Yep. And um, so, you know, it's logical to think that they would have their eyes on this market as a high growth market connected to theirs that they would want to try to get involved in. And that's in line with what they're doing on the lobbying front, which if you want to hear episodes where we've talked about the lobbying front and the, the involvement of, of alcohol and tobacco companies into the lobbying space to help get federal legalization rolled out, you know, go no further than listen to my interviews with Andrew Friedman from the council for policy, the cannabis, uh, CPAIR, Policy Education Regulation, Shirley or- Sherry Orlowitz, founder and board chair of the Council for Federal Cannabis Regulation, Stephen Hawkins from the U.S. Cannabis Council. We've talked about it a lot. But this is the part where it's not just putting money into the lobbying effort. It's also we're going to jump into the companies themselves. We're going to start investing. And, and it's not just even... You know, that also beverage companies as well. When you got Starbucks, when you have Coca-Cola, you have others that are also looking their way to make their way in, but they're also kind of waiting in the wings, just like, you know, Silicon Valley is probably waiting the same way. Investors are waiting to jump in at the right time, and that's what it comes down to that. So as we're going to wrap things up, John, this is a, this is a subject for me. I really, really am a, this is a, a passion project for me. I do a podcast called The Broadcaster's Podcast. I do it independently. I'm not going to promote it. I'm just going to say it's there. But I have an affinity for following the media. And I wanted to get your take on this particular of mergers and acquisitions in the media space. This is just a side question. Whatever you could tell me about this. So the rap.com in the opening weeks of the year, they've seen where Microsoft has made a $68.7 billion all cash play for the video game maker Activision Blizzard. New York Times plucked down $550 million for the sports news site, The Athletic. And the rap.com talked to Scott Schiller, global uh, chief commercial officer of consulting industry agent engine, excuse me. And they said from web 3.0 and metaverse to streaming and sports gambling, all these things are happening at once. The larger players that have some money have to fast forward their strategy. Competition will get fiercer. Analysts said as media companies pursue more, both more content and subscribers in an increasingly fragmented market. Additionally, many of the biggest stakeholders were into the arena with top dollar offers as they opt to either build services or buy other companies already providing them. So I talk about the digital disruption, which is what really causes all this to go on. Traditional, you know, outdated linear platforms are being transitioned out and 
Do you feel like that, you know, this disruption from streaming, the internet in general, these publicly traded media companies, they're kind of in a panic to stay relevant. This is not for the cameras industry, but, you know, media, this is where things could be, you know, in, in a few decades. Yes, the disruption has been tough, especially on smaller uh, players. Yeah. You have basically it, the equivalent of, of a product just being sold completely differently than it was only just a few years ago mm-hmm. in uh, consumer media and websites, which is what most of your listeners and the public experiences advertising you know, via the way that those ads are sold have been com- completely uh, has been changed completely from what used to be direct sale of advertising to now these programmatic exchanges that um, operate uh, and hold inventory and are incredibly powerful, uh, but end up affecting, I mean, helping in terms of efficiencies right, for the advertising industry, but ultimately affecting price and, and, and sometimes driving driving price down. And that's just one example of, of a media and uh, of a change in the media industry that has been hard to adjust to for, for media companies. And that's what's fascinating is that, that like you said, the programmatic, programmatic start. I mean, just like a, if a podcast like Bunt Business, we have, you know, we're through a podcast host. We have the commercials that are embedded in geo-targeted and placed and they're yeah. run so smoothly embedded in. I remember when they weren't that good, at, when, when the programmatic, the infrastructure wasn't as solid. You still had delays and buffering issues. Now it's so seamless. It's incredible. Technology just really, and that goes for all industries. Technology disrupting everything from public relations to various industries. Is there anything of a disruptive effect that you think you'd worry about when it comes to the cannabis industries that close out? Does something like the Web 3.0 in the metaverse, where there's already now people buying millions of dollars in digital real estate and buying, you know, corner stores in the in decentralized, decentraland, things like this going on. Is this anything to be considering right now, or is it really just something that's just so far ahead? Um, it's far ahead from where I'm sitting. I think the um, sort of the most concerning thing about it is there's no roadmap to follow. You know, this hasn't, what, what, what you're describing, another industry hasn't been through this. So that's the most challenging thing uh, for folks in, in the market, I think, is the lack of a real historical roadmap to point to another industry and say, oh, this is how it went down. Here's the path that we should go on. And that requires, you know, constant idea generation, constant, you um, um, you know, risk analysis and uh, with um, uh, with possible rewards. You know, I try to think of, uh, you know, <laughs> I always think about, you know, tightrope artists and how they kind of work uh, without a safety net. I forget, was it the, the, the Wallanda brothers? Who was it again? They used to do that back <laughs> in the day. And I forget who it was, but it's like, that's, just, that's what I feel like when I see this. Who's going to invest in this where there's no safety net? When there's no kind of infrastructure, like I'm starting to understand it better, but that's what's going to happen is that you can't get so much far into a risk investment like this without really knowing, you know, what the, what it's on the other side. And that's what's really uh, interesting to me. I don't even know how anybody's going to be able to do it, but that's, 
it's a I'm keeping an eye on it. Like anything metaverse on the program here, we talk to guests about it. NFTs, DeFi, crypto, we're talking about it. It's interesting to me. And John, I really appreciate the time you've taken uh, to go and talk to me on the show today. It's been a great conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Ari. I appreciate it as well. So really quickly, let's go ahead and reference the website, mediamergers.com. For those who would look to go ahead and you know connect with you and your team, and if there are any business owners or any of those investors out there, venture capitalists that you have a couple million setting aside, you want to go ahead and invest, uh, maybe you can help direct them to something they might like to go ahead and you know pluck their money into. Certainly can. Is there anything on the website you want to, any call to action where people should go to reach out and, and contact you on the website? Uh, yes, we have an at, Ask the Expert session, as well as being able to sign up for our industry newsletters, as well as to put information into, to um, be put into our buyer or seller uh, database. Fantastic. John J. McGovern, CEO and owner of Grimes McGovern Associates. Website is mediamergers.com. John, really great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for taking time out today. Thank you. And listeners, thanks again for listening to another great edition of Blunt Business. We'll talk to you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.